evening everyone. This evening we'll review the 46th Anucheta of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, presentation of Srila Jiva Goswami. Though invisible, the Lord's body can be seen by his mercy. So in the last discussion of Anucheta 45, the second part of that Anucheta, points were brought out in reference to Gajendra's non-specific prayers to the Lord. He was calling out for whatever help he could get, it seemed like, and he wasn't being specific, but he, he knew who he was calling for. So going on tonight, Jiva Goswami now wants to talk about, through a few Anachetas, these revelations have come up repeatedly. These different personalities get to see God. He manifests a form before them. So one can question, well, what kind of form is the Lord manifesting before them? How is this happening? These, these occurrences are, are happening within material existence. So how is it that the Lord is manifesting a form before them? So a few things will come out this evening. If we look to Gajendra's prayers, his prayers were were non-specific, but they were also referring to the fact that the Lord has no form, of course, no material form, and he has no attributes, of course, referring to material attributes. Yet still, Narayans appeared before him, along with his carrier. So now we go on, and Jiva's going to explain how this is possible, that the formless, non-material Supreme Personality of Godhead is able to be seen within material existence. And we note that he can be seen specifically by his devotees, although he can manifest a form that others can see. And when we look to the fact that the Lord manifests a form before the devotees, before those that have some affection for him, there's also those that worship the Lord, but in a different way than the devotees. So the yogis are also worshipping the Lord and their vision of the Lord is, is, is manifest, but it's manifest as again the verse discusses, Vedanti Tat Tattva Vidas. All these different seekers or worshippers of the absolute truth see a form of the Lord in accordance with their mode of worship. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjute. Subjute. So also this, we, we note when the Lord entered the wrestling arena, everybody saw him differently according to their angle of vision. And Jiva's already given us some, some analogies to explain how those different angles of vision can be viewed in the one supreme personality. So for us, we do have senses. We are able to perceive things, but the senses we have were specifically designed to let us perceive material objects. They were not designed by Brahma for spiritual inspection. Not that we could use them to inspect what's around us spiritual. 
We have material senses and we can perceive material objects. From the Katha Upanishad, it says that the self-born Sri Brahma created the senses to perceive external objects and therefore one sees them, but not the indwelling self. So he didn't give us a, a, a sense that allows us to see within, to see our true spiritual nature, to see the indwelling antaryami, the, the, the Lord within every living entity. He didn't give us that sense. But by this logic, if Brahma gave the living entities material senses and Gajendra saw the Lord, how do we reconcile that? Because logic would mean that Vishnu's body would have to be material if Gajendra saw the Lord with his eyes. Basically, to the eye, the only thing that it can't perceive are things that are all-pervasive or things that are atomic. And we touched upon in prior Anuchetas the way that the sages characterize different objects as being infinitesimal, perceptible, medium-sized, and infinite. So in order to bring the point home that there is a possibility to perceive the form of the Lord, Jiva is now going to switch to a different section of the Bhagavatam, and specifically the prayers again. So we see a repeat, this is coming off repeatedly, that these prayers of Krishna's devotees different varying devotees in different varying conditions, these prayers are just full of transcendental knowledge. So now Vishnu is going to use the prayers of Nriga. So we know this. This is from the 10th canto. Nriga was, uh, well, basically this happened outside of Dwarka. And uh, Krishna's, Leela has progressed and he's now living there and he has quite a few offspring. He had quite a few wives. <laughs> and each of those 16,108 wives, um, he had 10 offspring from each of them, so you can imagine. I forget the figure, but even the figure of uh, the, te the number of teachers required <laughs> to teach all the children was, was in the millions. Some of his sons were playing one day outside of Dwarka in the forest and they became thirsty and they uh, went to a well and unfortunately the well was dry but what they saw in the well was a huge lizard. They tried to get the lizard out of there but it, it was beyond them. So they called on their dad Dad, could you come get this lizard? We want to check this thing out. It's a big lizard that's down in this well. So Krishna came. Of course, the child calls. The father comes here. Let me. And he lifted the lizard out with his left hand. And as soon as he lifted the li lizard out, he touched the lizard with his fingers. And he was immediately purified, this living entity. And he resumed his original form. Because what we come to find out, when Nriga explains, the Lord says, how did you get in the well? 
I can see, look at you, you're a king. You're from the heavenly kingdom. You're from the heavens. How did you get there? And he explains that he was very generous, especially to Brahmins, and he really liked to give away cows. So I realize some of us here may have difficulty giving the cows away, <laughs> but <laughs> Nringa had no problem giving his cows away. And he gave one Brahmin a lot of cows, and one of the cows got away from the Brahmin's herd and went back into the Nringa's herd, and uh, then he gave away another batch of cows, and that cow was given again to a separate Brahmin. And then the first Brahmin complained, you, this Brahmin just stole my cow. No, this, this king just gave me this cow. No, this is my cow. There was an argument, and Riga said, I'll settle the argument. Tell you what, I'll give both of you another 100,000 cows. <laughs> yeah, they were stubborn stubborn Brahmins, and they said, no, that's not going to satisfy. And they all had, they both had their logical arguments as to why it wasn't, that wasn't a proper solution. Unfortunately, Nriga had suffered the consequence of their, I guess you could call it a little bit of a lack of compassion and empathy for the king. But anyway, he suffered the consequence, and he became a lizard uh, for giving away a cow twice. The two separate Brahmins. Of course, seeing the Supreme Lord with his senses, <laughs> he also offered prayers, just like Gajendra offered prayers, and the Lord came. Well, he saw the Lord, the Lord saved him, and he offered some prayers. So his prayers from the 64th chapter of the 10th canto, O all-pervading Lord, you are the transcendent self, contemplated through the eye of the Upanishads by the masters of yoga in their pure hearts. How is it that you, who are beyond sense perception, have become visible to my eyes when my intellect is so blinded by deep attachment? You should be seen here only by one who is liberated from material bondage. King is just, he's, he's flabbergasted. I'm seeing you. I know that even great mystic yogis cannot perceive your form except through the vision of Shastra, through the Upanishads. They meditate, they study the Upanishads, and that gives them a vision of you. But it's not the way I'm seeing you standing before me. How is this possible? It doesn't make sense to me that you are you are here before me, before my sense my senses are perceiving you when the mystics can't even perceive you in the way I'm perceiving you now. And the Lord is addressed in this particular sloka by King Nriga as Vibhu, all pervading, and as Paratma, supreme self who is beyond the self myself, the supreme self. And both of these epitaphs speak to the fact, the imperceptibility of the Supreme Lord. It's just, you can't perceive it. 
Now, Jiva Goswami is going to use Sridhar Swami's paraphrasing and commenting from his tika. And Sridhar Swami comments, King Nriga said, O Lord, you who are all-pervading have become visible to my eyes and are being directly perceived by me. This is most astonishing. What is so surprising about that? Would be the retort. What's so surprising about that? You are the transcendent self, Paratma. Therefore, even the masters of yoga, Yogeshwaras, contemplate, meditate upon you in their pure hearts through the eyes of the Upanishads. So their vision is Shastra Chaktush. They see with the eyes of the Shastra. They see you in their hearts, but not not standing before them. The reason why they adopt such means is that you are a doksaja, one who cannot be perceived by the material senses, unapproachable by the material senses. So that's the specific meaning of a doksaja. The senses cannot perceive. You're situated beyond the knowledge gained through the senses. Only those who are free from material bondage should be able to see you. Owing to the material misery of this lizard body, my intelligence has been blinded. Thus, your appearance before me is highly surprising. So Nrig is also emphasizing the point that I'm not of the, of the standard. I don't have the qualification that a yogi has. In fact, I'm really covered with ignorance. So much so that, you know, here, I, I'm just, I was just a lizard a few seconds ago. <laughs> and here I am now, you know, back in my other, but still, I mean, as a king, I was covered with ignorance, thinking I'm my body, thinking, and everything that goes along with that. I'm the owner of so many cows. I think that. I'm the best donor you know, you must have heard of me. I give away so many cows. So so he, he sees I, I have all these material faults. So how is it possible? So there's a section of the Mahabharata, Narayana Dhyatma. Jiva now uses some verses from this section of the Mahabharata to bring out his point. The first one, although the Lord is always invisible, he can be seen by his own power, Without that power, who could ever see the immortal Supreme Lord, who is the Supreme Self of all beings? So we can see that Bhagavan's mercy is the only, is the only thing that gives facility for a perception of him or his form. And then Jiva Goswami quotes a few, a few Upanishadic uh, shrutis, uh, to bring his point home. And I was, I wanted to point out that as we go through some of these philosophical points and the different pramans, the proofs that Jiva Goswami presents, there seems to be repetition. And there seems to be, well, I get it. I understand. But here, here it seems that again and again the same point is being pulled from here and pulled from there and pulled from someplace else. But it's significant 
we could certainly just do a gloss over of the different philosophical points and not go into in depth everything that Jiva presents in a specific Anucheta to make his, to give us the conclusion that he's trying to convey. We could cover, you know, a lot more material in a lot less time. But there has to be some significance that Jiva Goswami would take the time in the Anucheta to present all the various pramanas and all the different angles of vision and all the different objections that he does. When we're studying the Sandarbhas of Jiva, we need to pay attention to what he's presenting and where he's pulling it from and and think deeply about how significant these points are that he's taking this much time and presenting this much evidence just to make his point. In preparing these discourses on the Sandarbhas, we're going to go into the detail that he's presented in the Anucheta. And it may seem repetitive, and it may seem that we may think that I got it with the first verse. I understood. By Krishna's mercy, we can see his form. Okay, so let's go on to the next Anucheta. What's the point in the next one? But there has to be some significant value to our sadhana and to our sambandhagyan, the strengthening of that sambandhagyan that impelled someone like Jiva Goswami to go to so much trouble, to pull so much evidence together and to present it to us on, a, on, every, on all these different philosophical points. We should not become uh, complacent in hearing what he has to present in the Sandarvas. So, from the Shrutis, his form cannot be seen with the eyes. These are just little aphorisms. Whoever is blessed by him can attain him. His form is not visible. Now, again, in the Mahabharata, he draws something. The Lord of Swedadweep is speaking to Narda. O Narda, do not think that you are able to see me because I have a form like other objects. I could disappear in a moment if I so willed it. I am the supreme controller and the spiritual teacher of the entire universe. I have created this illusion and therefore you think that you can see me because the qualities I have are all material. But this conception is incorrect. So he's schooling even Narda. He's saying, be careful here. You're seeing my form, but understand, this is not a material vision. Don't even begin to think you're seeing me with your material eyes. You're not. I could be here and I could be gone in an instant, in a moment. I wouldn't have to leave the room because I am the room. I'm everything around you. 
I can appear before you in a form and I can take that vision away instantaneously. As quickly as it can appear, it can disappear. So don't be illusioned by my Maya. In the next Anocheta, this Maya, my Maya, is going to be really brought out even more. So he's showing Narada by this statement, I can disappear in a moment, that my form's not material. I have created this illusion. An illusion is what? An illusion is a kind of cheating. I have created this illusion, or Maya, meaning deceptive power. So Maya can mean both both mercy and deception. Maya has both those meanings. Krishna is actually doing both when he's appearing. He's letting Narada know. I'm here by a deception of your senses that you're thinking you're seeing me with them. And I'm here because of my mercy. So there's a statement to Brihaspati, also from the Mahabharata, not spoken by the Lord. It's actually spoken by Narada to Brihaspati. O Brihaspati, neither you nor we can see the Lord at our will. Only those whom he favors can see him. If you're a drowning man and you're in the ocean drowning, you cry out for help. No one is bound to help you. They can hear you and they can either help you or not help you as they desire. So similarly, there's no force for them to help you. Similarly, there's no force for the Lord to manifest before you. This is important because in our conditioned state, we tend to take everything for granted. We take for granted the sun's going to be there in the morning. We take for granted there's going to be food on the table and that there's going to be air that we can breathe, um, water that we can drink. Now as we progress in our environment of Kali Yuga, we, rec- we take these things less and less for granted, but at least those people with fine discrimination start to see the writing on the wall. But under normal circumstance, we are pretty carefree in our lives. We, we take things more or less for granted. We also, in some sense, a lot of religionists, or not a true transcendentalist, but religionists, they have this sense that I should be able to summon God. Why not? That sense is there sometimes. You come across people, I called God and he never showed up. Or like we see in movies, people become completely like Captain Dan (laughs) on the ship and Forrest Gump screaming at God. Is that all you've got? (laughs) People actually think that, you know, I can can force God to, to interact with me. This little narration from the Mahabharata kind of brings that home, even when it comes to transcendentalists. So there's a, there's a verse, and the Lord, the Lord told Narada, He said, "They," and he's referring to the sages, Ekata, Dwita, and 
uh, Trita, could not see me. No one but my pure devotees can see me. And as you are the best among my unalloyed devotees, you are able to see me. So the circumstance of this comment and also the comment to Brihaspati are in relationship to King Upachara Vasu. And he was performing a horse sacrifice for the pleasure of Vishnu. Brihaspati was the priest and he was being assisted by his three sons, Ekata, Dvita, and Trita. And the Lord manifested his form, and the king could see him, and no one else could, no one else. Brihaspati, the main priest, who's, I mean, he's the qualifications of Brihaspati, he couldn't see this form of the Lord but he, could, he knew that the king was seeing the Lord. The king who was sponsoring the sacrifice, the horse sacrifice. So Brihaspati became a little frustrated. This doesn't seem right to me that here it is king, worldly king, performing a horse sacrifice. Uh, it's good that he's doing it for Vishnu, but really he called me in to get the job done. I should be able to see the Lord if he's going to manifest. And he was pacified later uh, simply with knowledge, the knowledge that the Lord could manifest his form according to his desire to whoever he likes. We don't have any, we shouldn't take it for granted. It's not like a given that being a, the priest at the sacrifice if you call Vishnu, if he comes, you may not be able to see him. And someone who you think is less qualified than yourself, like a lizard in the well, a well, who is a king, may be able to see him. I know it's wondrous, it's amazing, but it can happen. The Lord can only be seen according to his will and by his mercy. Otherwise, we cannot, he's imperceptible. We're not going to be able to see him. That's one of his characteristics. He has a transcendental form. Now we go on to the next Anucheda. Jiva Goswami takes great pains to, to bring out the point that he's trying to make in this next Anucheda. And we go back to prayers offered by Gajendra. This Anuchena, his name, form, actions, and attributes are transcendental. Having established, this is Jiva's introduction into the Anuchena, having established that Bhagavan's form, forms are not material, we now discuss how other features, features related to him are similarly not material. Shijiva Goswami will now explain that Bhagavan is without birth, action, name, form, qualities, and so on, specifically in the manner that all of these are generally conceived through conventional experience, rooted in dualism. So he does have a name, he does have a form. 
He does have a fragrance. He does perform actions within the material realm. He does all these things apparently like anyone else does them. Jiva Goswami, as I said, this is he goes to great lengths to to bring this all out and make the point that never think that any of these actions, any of these visions, when we see any of this, when we hear the Lord talk, when we see his form, anything that can happen, if it's happening within the material realm, do not even begin to imagine that it's material in any way. His actions, his form, his name, none of it is material. So there's going to be, there's a lot of praman here. Jiva goes everywhere to pull out support to quell any misconception regarding anything of the Lord's activities being material. He begins with two verses from Gajendra. So we're back to the kingdom of heaven. And those prayers of Gajendra. Bhagavan has no birth, action, name, form, virtues, or vices. However, for the purpose of creating and destroying this material world, he accepts these perpetually by his internal potency. And Jiva takes issue with us even beginning to misunderstand what Gajendra is saying in this prayer. So there's a lot here, and we'll take it up in the next discussion. Any questions? So how is it that um, by the Brahmins, well, it's, it's like they were displeased, like if they were acting unreasonably, then why was their displeasure kind of negatively affected? I guess that's the first part and the second part is um, how is it that um, yeah if they were on that platform how is it that Krishna was appeared to King Riga by their action by their birth by their curse it's like he appeared well but that's because Krishna really likes these Brahmins even even the ones that are a little cantankerous because he likes Brahminical culture he likes when he, when the human, when human society moves towards the mode of goodness, and human society accepts and worships Brahmins, he's very pleased by that. So therefore, even in their curses, he puts blessings, or they themselves can put blessings if they are they are bhaktas like Narada. Narada can curse the Kuveras. Uh, to become trees and in there is, a, is one heck of a blessing. But even the Brahmins, they may, they may give some, you know, they may come a little short or harsh and curse, but uh, because Krishna is so favorably inclined towards them, then we see they always, their curses always turn out to the benefit of those that are cursed in the long run so even like Nriga there you know who 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 pulled him out of the well
So that's who can get a blessing like that. Krishna, he couldn't even understand it. This is this is amazing. Even the yogis can't don't get a blessing like this. They never see you see you personally. Here you are standing in front of me. So Krishna likes Brahminical culture. Not every Brahmin possesses every Brahminical quality. Some are also works in progress. Anything else? Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Thank you.